Hello and welcome back to yet another week of Bomb Battle, the Scandinavian Spanish football podcast. And I'm going to stop giving the number of the episode every time we start because eventually I'm going to lose count and there's going to be countless number of these hopefully in the future. What a week it has been for Scandinavians in Spain in particular. Before we do anything else, I want to tee up something that Alexander Jonsson has wonderfully acquired for us. And it's the most local reaction that you can ever possibly have to a Real Sociedad goal. It's from Basque Radio something that you won't be hearing anywhere else, I would imagine. And it's in reaction, well, to a certain Swede becoming the hero at the weekend, scoring the winner against Celta. Have a listen. Yeah, he's So unless you speak uh, Basque, you probably didn't understand that. I think we can do a really good translation to it. So basically what he says is that Alexander Isak has scored a goal. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We should mention that that is from, please forgive me, Euskadi Iratia from the Basque, essentially the Basque public broadcaster. AITB. And it's uh, it's Rafa Mungia, if I said his name correctly, who yep. who, who it is, who actually sent the sent it to me. It's a really nice guy. Um but yeah, so that is uh, that is how it sounds in the Basque country when Alexander Isak scores the winning goal for Real Sociedad against Alfred Vigo at Palaidos. I mean I've seen already some of the the write ups in the Spanish press about this. He's getting a lot of praise, a lot of people really impressed with him. Alex, you were at the stadium. You were at Balaidos. Uh, just how good was his 20 minutes? You saw it from the ground. Yeah, well, actually, I only saw 10 of his 20 minutes because <laughs> I had to go to the, the the flash zone to wait for him to speak to him afterwards. Uh, that's the, the problem you have as a journalist sometimes uh, to, to be able to be there at a time when they come off from the pitch. Uh, but I saw 10 of his minutes. And um, to be honest, before Alexander Isa came on, it was a really quite boring match. Uh, neither of the teams played especially well. I think that uh, Celta were going really harsh on on Odegaard, who didn't really have a, a one of his best games, if we say so. Um, and you could see then the entire team was struggling. Um, and then uh, finally, uh, I had to say that they might not put on Alexander Isak. I would have liked to see him come on a little bit earlier. I think a lot of people would have. Um, William Jose wouldn't have, because <laughs> he didn't look very happy when he had to go off. Furious. Uh, yeah, he's uh, having a very strange attitude. And I think that in one way that speaks good for Isaac because uh, that is one of the reasons when he got to get his first start was because Milan Jose had been acting really badly after being substituted the match before. Uh, but in ter- terms of the team, it's it's never a good sign when mm. a player starts acting like that. But anyway, uh, and then Alexander Isaac came on. I think in, in uh, Real Sociedad's attack, a lot changed. I was... The, the problem when you're on the ground is you, you don't see the game as well, but I was on the side where Real Sociedad was attacking, so I was basically seeing them yep. attacking me uh, in a way, which is also an interesting angle. And from my perspective, at least, I f- felt like the, the attack of Real Sociedad changed quite a lot when, when Isa come in. And the, the connection he has with Odegaard especially, I, I think, is incredible to see. They just find each other on the pitch uh, so quickly. And I don't know how many minutes it took from it come on until he scored, but it wasn't too many. Um, and he just looked so easy. 
Um, and it was like almost like he didn't score because it was obviously an away game, so the entire stadium was just quiet. And I was like, but w- what is happening? Oh, okay, he did score. <laughs> that was a goal, right? Because with VAR these days, you never know. The thing I like about the goal is that so the the, the first goal he scored for them was all about pace. And to be honest, I mean, he's, he's quicker. He's faster now, actually, than he's ever been. He's improved in that regard. But pace is not necessarily one of his key attributes, I would say. So it was good to see some other things standing out from him, like his strength. And also his agility to get through that space that he gets through. And he's off balance when he finishes as well and finishes really well. And then I, I don't know if you were uh, pitch side at that moment, but there's another really good chance that forces a save as well later on where he, he almost scored again, I would say. And I think his timing has been incredible. If you think about when his first goal came, it was getting to that point where people were, there, there weren't any murmurs, no one was questioning him, but it was a good time for him to score. And it was a good game against Espanyol for him to score because Espanyol were pushing for an equalizer at that point, I think. Um, and then now when William Jose has been playing well and has been scoring, has been the established starter, you're probably starting to think, oh, it's going to be hard for Isaac to break into the team. We've been saying that. And then he does this. So it feels like he has an exceptional ability to step up at exactly the right moment when he really needs it and deliver. And I can only imagine that Real Sociedad fans are pretty happy with their signing so far, right? Yeah, for sure. And uh, well, they are happy in general, I'll say, with how Real Sociedad has been doing this season. Uh, there you might be... I think still we need to be a little bit cautious with Real Sociedad, as we have said before, because it's so early in the season. It's such a young team um, and there's a lot of challenges that will come ahead of them. But this was a, a game in where they weren't playing particularly well mm. and they end, still end up winning the match, which is very, very important. And for a player like Alexander Isak to step up in those moments... Uh, for him, it's very important and will make the fans just love him even more. When you spoke to him post-match, what was the impression you got from him? He seems to be very calm about these things. Was it the same thing this weekend? That's exactly what I was going to say, actually. It's like, uh, I think with many players at his age scoring their second goal in, in La Liga, a goal that decides a game would probably, you know, be lyric about it and a bit like over the moon. Uh, mm. Can't really say that about Alexander. He's like, he just feels very, very calm, not it's like he doesn't feel a little bit like we have said with Odegaard before as well. Mm. Like that enormous pressure is not weighing them down in any way, at least not so far. Um, And I asked him a little bit about uh, how important the goal was to score now, especially since William Jose has been performing so well. And it seemed like he, He's like, yeah, it's uh, it's always great to score a goal. It's important for a team, blah, blah, blah. You know, the typical answers. Uh, but he's felt very calm about the entire situation. Um, and I asked him as well about uh, what's interesting for this podcast, uh, the, the connection with Odegaard and mm. to having another Scandinavian there. And he actually said that just being able to have someone you can speak in Swedish to, and um, also like on the pitch, you, it's just helped them connect even yeah. more. I think we can see that on the pitch as well because they are even though they haven't played that much together to be honest because Isak has only started one match uh, but he's come on in, in several like when they are on the pitch together you see them finding each other yeah. very very directly and very easily um, and I think that that might uh, play a little part of that but we talked about before that uh, Erdegaard that we heard that Erdegaard speak good Swedish so I asked him about that and he said that well he understands very well. And the thing is, I mean, at, at the minimum, they'll be able to communicate enough on a level that in football terminology, they'll understand each other. And that could be, I mean, having a, a little secret language can be useful. It's such stupid, but I mean, in the example of the weekend is clear when they're close together on the pitch. 
being able to say something to your teammate that the defenders around you won't understand can be an advantage. So maybe it's paying off. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, Real Sociedad will be back in action soon because we've got midweek games this week. So we should move on. Sticking with a Basque team, but another Basque team who was playing away, actually, who had lesser fortunes. Atletico Madrid's win against Athletic. I guess, I mean... There, with there being no classical this weekend, there was a lot of sort of attempts to to promote other games and play them up as the sort of big game of the weekend. But I think historically, considering the shared history of these two teams, this probably was the big historic game of the weekend. Atletico Madrid was actually founded by Basque students in Madrid who were Athletic Club de Bilbao fans. So from the start, Atletico de Madrid was also called Athletic Club de Madrid. Yeah. Uh, and they were, I, I'm not sure if they were ever actually connected uh, completely, the two clubs, but they were kind of, uh, you could say that Athletic Club de Bilbao was kind of a parent club in a way to Atletico de Madrid at the start. And if you look historically at the shirts, uh, the colors, the emblems, they've been very, very similar. Um, and they both started out playing in blue and white. Um, changed to red and white because uh, a guy from Atletico Madrid was going to to England to get new shirts for them because their first shirts came from Blackburn Rovers. And there's different uh, anecdotes on exactly what happened, but basically he failed to get the shirts, came back with Southampton mm. shirts, and that's how the both teams became red and white. Um, so that's quite interesting. And I think a few years back, there was an athletic club uh, president, or not president, someone in the club at least, who tried to sue Atletico Madrid for having a too uh, close look-alike logo. And then without really knowing the history, which is quite funny. The, the, I mean, there's a lot of mythology around that story. I think there was, it's been a while since I've written or read about this, but I think there was some kind of exchange of players at some point. No, it's completely unique. And one of the odd things that's developed in recent years, at least when they play at the Wanda, is these have turned into high scoring fixtures, which, well, considering the, the general lack of goals from both teams, is always a little bit of a surprise. So it does feel like, not it's not quite a derby, let's not exaggerate, there's not any kind of feeling like that around it, but there's something special about it that gives these particular meetings a, a special characteristic when they happen. And at the weekend, I, I think the, well, the fact that Atletico scored two goals is already a standout uh, feature, but considering they don't do that very often, I think they scored, did they score their first in the first half? I think they did, which is also something unusual for them. And then also they had a striker who scored for a second match in a row, which again, is an unusual thing for them. I really feel like uh, this could be a turning point for Alvaro Morata. I saw really good stats in Marca today, which showed that if you tally up the amount of minutes he's played in 2019 so far, and then put them against the number of goals he scored, he actually has a better goal scoring rate for Atletico already than Antoine Griezmann did in his last half a season at Atletico. So that's promising. And that, considering he hasn't had any consistency and he hasn't had a, a good run in the team, there's there's signs there to be positive about for Atletico, particularly when Diego Costa just can't score. He can't do it. He, he makes the runs, he gets into decent positions, but he just can't find the back of the net. So it feels like uh, Morata firing and hitting the net could be a huge, huge difference maker for them in any ambitions to win the league. No, I, I've, I'm agreeing with you. And I think, to be honest, that Morata might be one of the most more underrated players in La Liga because it's he, he's always, I think, been on a quite high level and he's perform quite, perform quite a lot very well and very regularly, but he's still is kind of under the radar in a way that people don't talk about him in the sense that you talk about Antonio Griezmann, for example, in, in that uh, that you were speaking about just now. Uh, so I think it's uh, you have a point there and it's worth expecting more from him, I think, and or expecting these kind of things from him and not just be surprised by it. 
speaking of underrated players, and to this point, I want to take a bit of a attack against myself here. Angel Correa provided both of the assists. He was very, very good in general. He's someone who I'd kind of written off, to be honest. They were quite close to selling him, and incredibly close to selling him to Milan in the summer in order to bring in Rodrigo, and then that whole sort of domino effect collapsed. I sort of forgotten about him or, or written him off as a player who can make a difference, but he showed. And I think the key here is playing as a, a second striker, so playing as one of the two people up front and not on the wing where Diego Simeone has tended to, to push him out. They can actually be really useful. And I, on paper, Morata and Correa is quite a nice combination. They complement each other quite nicely as players, um, and they seem to have some kind of understanding on the pitch, so maybe that's something that they can build on. I don't know, and perhaps proof that Correa can still do something for Atleti in the long term. So a question to keep on on, on this, because we, we've talked about a little bit before that people tend to go away a little bit too much when uh, the smaller clubs are up in the start of the season, topping the league, etc. We all know that it would probably go end up being between Barca, Real Madrid and Atletico de Madrid. Uh, and looking at the season so far and at the clubs and their development, uh, etc. Is Atletico Madrid the favourite for you of the three of the teams? Or what would you say? Someone put it in a really interesting way. I hate using the word interesting because it's the least interesting word you can use, but they put it in an unusual way that made me think about it. And this is something I agree with, that of the three big teams, Atletico Madrid are the team that has the highest ceiling right now. And by that, they meant they have the highest potential to improve. So if they can reach the the peak potential of the players they have, then I think that's higher than Real Madrid and, and Barcelona at present. I think they have a more balanced squad. They have a lot of talent in pretty much every area of the pitch. I think they by far have the best coach of the three teams at the top. Considering that they've they've not quite been clicking and not quite been playing well, and they're still like within touching distance of top spot, uh, regardless of how the the eventual result between Barcelona and Real Madrid goes, that suggests there's potential there for them to do something. I think a lot of it's going to come down to how Diego Simeone picks his teams. What decisions does he make? Does he continue to back people who are not playing well, or does he make changes? At the weekend, he made a change. So finally, he dropped Diego Costa. And it paid off. And now the evidence is there for him to see that, okay, now you probably have a better option up front than Costa, and Costa should be on the bench. He has similar decisions to make in the middle of the pitch, I think. We'll see. Yeah, it's going to be a long season. It's been a strange start to the season as well. There's been a lot of international breaks. There's going to continue to be that as well. So it feels very stop-start at the moment. But I think they have a lot of quality and a lot of potential. So, But, but just bef before we leave the Atletico Madrid Athletic, I just want to say one short thing that we talked about in the last episode is that Inaki William has yet not been rested. He was played again. It's 129 games now. So we need to keep the hashtag rest Inaki going because he needs a rest. Honestly, just give the guy some time off, man. I don't know. Let him go out with his girlfriend or well, actually... Maybe that's not such a good idea. I don't know if you saw that video from a while back. But anyway, give him, give him some space. Let him clear his head. Rest in Enyaki hashtag. I'm not sure if he can use the Enya symbol in a hashtag, so it might end up being rest Enyaki. Uh, but either way, rest the guy. Rest the poor guy. We, uh, we should briefly mention the elephant in the room, which already seems to have been moved on from uh, the, the game that didn't happen. So the classical on Saturday it would have been right Saturday one one o'clock p.m. I think. So as we alluded to in the last podcast, this wasn't done, even though we knew the the date had been set in theory for December eighteenth. That it wasn't the story wasn't closed, and so it was that La Liga are going to take it to court. I don't know if they've already started that process. I don't know what more there is to say to this, but one thing that struck me is that this is just embarrassing for Spanish football. 
it really is not a good look for them. And I, I was thinking of the example of in in London, there's been these huge extinction rebellion protests that have been happening, which have included things like public transport being shut down temporarily. There's been a lot of infrastructural problems. Football matches in London have continued to occur. The Premier League has still managed to make sure that its product continues to go out without hitch. And then on the flip side, you could say, okay, there's the, the, the violence issue in Catalonia. There's been a lot of things said about this by football journalists, which I find journalists, international journalists, which I find curious, which is that the initial police report when the decision to suspend El Clasico was made was that, no, we, we could have it. We could carry out a Clasico without any hindrances or any reasonable cause for a hindrance. So the argument that the police said that they couldn't do it is like, false. It's not true. It's based on a fallacy. Now the situation has changed and things have escalated perhaps, but at the moment at which the decision was made, the facts did not suggest that it couldn't occur. And I, I just wonder, what does this say about Spanish football? If it feels impossible that a similar thing could happen in the Premier League or even the Bundesliga, for example, I don't know. The question is, though, is that if that is so much to do with Spanish football or more with politics? Because I think what they were afraid of, even though they said it was the violence and all of this, what they actually were afraid of was how the Catalans would use this match mm -hmm. that everyone all over the world is watching Um and, and use it in the stands, in, in sending messages uh, in a way that they've done before, uh, which we have set, seen many times before at Camp Nou. And especially now when everything is in such a level that it is, if they would exaggerate it even more. And, and Spain kind of don't want to, to show the rest of the world what is going on in, in Catalonia, to, to be completely honest. So I think there is many different layers to it and there's many different discussions if it's the right decision or if it's the wrong decision. And the the fact is that it's escalated, as you said, quite a lot in Barcelona and, and taken on a level which it's never been on before uh, with all of this. Um, and should it affect football? Should it not affect football? And in, in the end, I don't think it ends up being so much about football because it's not yep. that much that it's a, just a football match going on. It's that it's probably the biggest football match or at least one of the biggest football matches there is. Uh, and the impacts that can have in, in many different ways. We should talk about some of the other big games or big results that happened at the weekend. I don't know if you saw that one of the Spanish radio stations, I think it was, put out this ridiculous poll at the weekend saying, are you still interested in La Liga when Barcelona and Real Madrid aren't playing? And the reaction was what you would expect, which was quite nice. A lot of people were saying, well, why are you even asking this? This is absurd. It's not just about two clubs. And for a lot of people, it isn't just about two clubs. And I think sometimes the people in the... The big media outlets in Madrid and Barcelona forget that. So we should focus on another team who are doing incredibly well. Top dogs, if you like. Granada, how do they pull this off? Well, for me, I'm super impressed with what they are doing and super surprised, to be honest. Um, I thought they would have a pretty decent season, to be honest. I thought they would be able to, to stay up in La Liga, potentially, uh, looking at what they did in Segunda last season and especially uh, at their current coach, which we are going to talk a little bit about more soon. Uh, but I would never, ever expect them doing this well. So basically, they are topping La Liga right now. They have 20 points, which is the same or more points than they had after the entire season last time they were in La Liga. And this is after 10 matches played. That is just incredible. So, Diego Martinez, I mean, Diego you've Martinez. done... You've done some deep diving, some deep research into the man himself. Tell me about his recipe for success. Where does it come from? What's his origins? So Diego Martinez come from the beautiful city that is Vigo, actually. 
so he uh, is the youngest coach in La Liga right now, only 38 years old, only coach under 40. Um, he grew up here in, in Vigo. He played for Celta's youth teams for nine years from when he was nine years old. Uh, and then he went to Cadiz and played there for two years before deciding to retiring at the age of 20 because it was much more fun to coach. Hmm. Uh, so he's been coaching since he was 20. Started out coaching in Granada, actually not for Granada, but for uh, smaller teams in the, in the Granada area, uh, first youth teams, and then uh, in Tercera when eventually Monchi called him, you know, this guy in Sevilla, uh, and brought him to Sevilla. And he started coaching in the youth teams of Sevilla. He was in Sevilla in total for eight years, coaching in the youth teams. Uh, then he was assistant, one of the assistants under Unai Emery uh, for a few years in the first team. Uh, and then before he got the job to take over Sevilla Atletico, which is the B team of Sevilla. Yeah. Um, he sa saved them from being relegated that season. And the next season, he won the promotion to uh, Segunda, uh, Segunda A. So that is uh, some very, very impressive work. And then after that, he went, got a job at Usasuna. I think he was there for a season. And then he got to Granada last season, won the promotion to La Liga. And here we are. Is there any appetite? And if there isn't any appetite, could you see in the future, if he continues this way, how, how people at Celta would quite like the idea of him taking charge of their team? Yeah, like uh, for now, there's no talks about it, probably because he's not in a position where he would change job at the moment because he's doing really, really well at Granada. Mm. But just seeing how people in Vigo especially are gets when it comes to homegrown players in the yeah. team, uh, having someone who played for the youth teams of Celta for nine years... Uh, coming and coach the team, I think would be be something that people would really like, and especially if it comes after having really good success elsewhere. Um, so, so definitely, and he's um, I'm I'm really excited to to see more of him because if he's like a very very smart guy in what he does, it's someone who's taken a lot of time to understand football and to learn. And mm -hmm. uh, I read some uh, interview with him actually, an, an old interview with him for um, uh, a paper here, a local paper in Vigo. Um, where he said that like, from when he decided basically that he wanted to coach, he's been going to every lecture he can, everywhere he can find them, and just like to learn and, and get it in. And also someone who's been that long, I think, in a club like Sevilla, um, it's a very good place to learn uh, as a coach and, and develop as a coach in many ways. So I think it's I'm, I'm very interested to see how long this will last with what's happening at Granada. It's still very early. Uh, but I don't think this is a lucky streak. Like sometimes you can see with some co coaches that things is falling to place and they, they are lucky for a short while and then everyone has these huge expectations and then they ne can never live up to them. Uh, but to be honest, it's it's still very early, but I don't think this is a lucky streak or, or anything like that. Uh, but it's going to be really interesting to follow his development. I think speaking about the Celta a little bit and, and coaches, um, there's been some talk uh, now lately with Fran Escriba if he's going to be, be kicked or not because Celta are down in the relegation zone which looking at the squad they have they should definitely not be down there they have not been taking the results it's been I think it's very very different from last season in many ways uh, in, in the situation but there is the question should Fran Escriba leave what, what do you think should a club like Celta de Vigo at this point after going through three coaches last season uh, is when is the good time to to get rid of a coach? Will, do you want to do it as early as possible, or do you want to wait and give him the chance? 
It's like there's there's so many things if you're gonna change coach midseason. I think part of the problem is maybe that Franny Scriba might have been the right guy to tighten things up and keep Celta up um, in an emergency situation last season. But he's quite possibly, and it seems like he is the wrong guy for the squad that they now have, which is a, a squad that I think favors a much more uh, attack focused coach who can do better things in that regard. So I put out a question of interest on my Twitter that yesterday, the other day, yesterday, uh, asking the Celta fans who they would like as a coach if they could pick. And obviously everyone says if in a dream scenario they want Berisso back. They they never they're never gonna get rid of the illusion of how incredible uh Berisso is and, and was for Celta. Uh but in a realistic, more realistic sense, uh it's between two coaches and it's Kikis at the end and it's Abelardo. And I have my opinion on this, but before I say it, it was wanna hear yours. Who do you think would fit Celta better at this point if we look at the current situation? Would it be Abelardo or would it be Kiki Setien? Honestly, neither. My my problem is I don't think that either of them are particularly balanced coaches. It's easier to be a resultadista with Abelardo because he gets you well-disciplined and he'll take a decent number of results, but I think he plateaus after a certain point. And I was Setien, I, I, I have to qualify. This is not a criticism of his... I think he's a really nice guy. And I think that he shows up and answers difficult questions where a lot of coaches don't bother. So I respect him for that. I think he has some nice ideas, but I'm not certain that he's fully capable of implementing them. So I think you get a short-term boost maybe, and then a long-term, yeah, not so good, which is what happened with Betis. So honestly, I'm not sure that either of them fit the perfect profile, but then the problem is, well, who is the perfect profile? Is there a perfect profile? Is there anyone available? I mean, we have to also recall that if someone is coached in La Liga this season, they would not be able to take that job. So that rules out, for example, the possibility of not that they would necessarily want him, but should Ruby be let go by Real Betis in the coming days, which I think is quite probable if things continue to go the way they are, then he couldn't take the job. So as as I see it, it's quite similar to you. With with Kiki Sitien, I think a lot of fans uh, romanticize him quite a lot. Uh, They see the game... Betis did against Barcelona and sim- similar games like that. And they expect that's what you get from Kiki Setien. You get amazing football. And of course, Celta Vigo, and especially with the kind of players they have right now, what the fans want is a fun football, a good offensive attacking football, which is not what they have at the moment. And they, I think a lot of fans think they can would get that with Kiki Setien. But I think what they are missing is if you look a little bit closer at Kike Setien and especially his time at Betis is that I think it's, you get a different view of Kike Setien if you just look at those few matches or if you look at every match. Um, and in the long term, just as you said, I think you can get this short blossom, but in the long term, it's it's not going to work out. And looking at what Celta need right now, I think is they need someone who can get... You have very good players. So they need someone who can get the best out of those players and they need someone who can make the team play as a team because it's quite individualistical at the moment uh, in many ways. I think that is the two main things if we look at like what they are in huge need of at the moment. Uh, the defense has is actually the one thing that has been working for them, I'd say, which is what has been the problem before. Um, and in that sense, I don't think Kisitian is the, the right person because... I think you get it's too big of a risk. And what we saw at Betis, one of the things that for me stuck out was that he wasn't able to get best out of the team that he had, of the players that he had, because Betis, the squad he had was one of the best Betis squads in many, many years. Um, 
if we look at Abelardo, I don't think he's the right fit either, but I think he's a better fit than Kike Setien at the moment because of those two things. I see him, if they would take him in, that would be a short solution, but it would be this season's sh- solution. So, you, yeah. Say you, you know who it's going to be, don't you? It's going to be Eusebio. I know. You know, I'm, it just I'm, occurred wait, wait. to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting to that. Okay, wait, because I have something to point out on that as well. So I think uh, if you take Abelardo, that would could be a good working solution for this season to get the best out of the players, to get everyone to do go crazy as he can do. But I don't see him as a long-term because he's not the Celta profile as we were talking about. You were saying, Eusebio, he was in Vigo this week. Oh, they, they, yeah. he was, Celta was having... Um, a talk or something that people could come and watch with him. Honestly, I, I just had this epiphany. It, just, it makes so much sense. He's been at Celta before. He has the, the sort of home advantage there. He's looking for a job. He's probably quite cheap and he'll get them relegated. So and, all of those boxes are ticked. And he got the, the contacts in the club. I mean, like he was here yeah. last week because they invited yeah. him to speak. Well, not to undermine that, I remember that I was at Giron, at Rio v Girona at the end of last season. I guess it must have been in like the tail end of winter or in the spring when Girona were, were really needing a result. Uh, and who did we see at that game but Unsue? And we thought it was weird because we saw him going up into the boxes where the, the people who are work at the clubs behind the scenes were. I wrote it off at the time and just thought, oh, well, I guess he knows Eusebio. Obviously, they've worked together. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was something there, but in, in hindsight, it probably was more than that, considering he ended up in the Girona job after the uh, Eusebio was sacked. So who knows? Maybe you've just got an exclusiva. Maybe we should be on Punto Pelota or whatever it's called <laughs> these days, El Chiringuito or yeah, exactly. Freak Show. I wanted to, it, it's a minor point, but on the, our discipline of Scandinavians in Spain, I thought we should give some praise to Martin Brathwaite, who got the winner for Leganes against Mallorca at the weekend. Not to say that we told you so, but you don't drop the guy that's responsible for over half of your goals when you're playing a game that you really want to win, I would assume would have been the case in the derby against Getafe or maybe not. Again, one of the underrated players in La Liga, considering what he's working with, and he's not working with a lot right now at Leganes, I have to say. The fact that he continues to cause problems, gets goals, continues to lift his teams and his team in difficult moments, I think says a lot about him as a football player. And he seems to have settled in really perfectly to life. It flies under the radar a little bit, the Danes, so I wanted to single him out for some praise. It's a big win for Leganes, who, as far as I'm aware, still don't have a coach. I might be wrong with that, but I don't think they have a full-time coach yet. And it's going to be a, a big struggle for them to try and get out of the bottom three, but this is the start. And who knows, there's midweek games now. Maybe they, they end up, and by this time next week, they're, they've got another six points on the table. And now every single team in the league has won a match. All right, well, before we close out, because we've talked a lot, I think we should also take a second to praise Osasuna who, if you've not been paying attention, registered. It's ridiculous. 30 games without losing at El Sadar. I mean, for any team, that's a huge thing to do. For a team who are currently in La Liga and have already played some difficult opponents, not least the most recent one, who they absolutely took to the cleaners, Valencia, that's a huge achievement. And they had 30 shots against yeah. Valencia's free, which is insane. Also, it's the match that I was almost going to. Oh, do you uh, want to explain uh, that story? Almost, is that almost is a big part. <laughs> Yeah, almost. No, the, the, well, I can say it shortly. There was an idea that was going to do Celta... Something. <laughs> Celta Real Sociedad in the morning and Usasuna Valencia in the evening. 
Yeah. Uh, it was just a little problem on how, because there's, I think, seven hours in total in between the when the Celta match mm. end and the Osasuna match start. It takes seven yeah. hours to drive, if I would have a car and a driver's license, which I still don't have, uh, between Vigo and Pamplona. Um, and obviously I wouldn't be done when the match is done in Vigo because I had to do the work afterwards. But there was the idea that I was supposed to do both matches. Uh, they came a realization. It's not just an idea from me, but from other people as well. They came a realization that this was not possible. There are some people who are absolutely batch, like Sid, Sid Lowe, who we both know does a lot of this. And I've seen people also who have worked a game in Madrid, then been at Barcelona that night. But the difference there is that you've got the Ave, which takes exactly. two and a half hours. So even though it can be a little bit hairy trying to time it to get out of the stadium on time and make sure you get to the other one, you know that if you get on that train, two and a half hours, you're going to be in the other city. And then it's just a question of getting to the stadium. I don't. I, I simply don't think there's been anyone who's ever done a match, been at a match in Vigo and a match at Pamplona, in Pamplona on the same day. If there is, they should get in touch and let us know yes. how they did it. I would have been so excited if I would be able to have done it. Had I had a car and a driver license, I might have just like gone for it. And I would probably well, have come to the Osasuna match like 20 minutes late or something, but I still, still would have made it. What you have to realize here as well is that the Northern Spain is much more difficult to get a- around than the rest of Spain because you have mm-hmm. mountains everywhere. Um, and now it's not winter here yet, but when it's winter, you will have the, the snow and ice as well because you go up the mountains and, and things like that. And that's why you don't have the same kind of train connection as you have for between Madrid and Barcelona, for example. So it's a lot more difficult to to get around that that's simply up here. But one day I'm going to do a matching Vigo and Pamplona on the same day. This is my goal of life. I wish you good luck. <laughs> Thank you. I have to wonder this match of the weekend because the, the shot statistics are insane. What was Marcelino thinking when he was sitting at home watching Valencia get dismantled by Osasuna? And okay, there's the red card which conditions this game. Rodrigo gets sent off. But I still find it hard to imagine Marcelino's Valencia conceding that many chances. It just wouldn't have happened. It wasn't their game. One last piece of business before we go. Hashtag free John Gadetti. <laughs> Again, we, we were talking about this in our, I guess, in our WhatsApp group uh, off air, but it's almost insulting. He gets barely any minutes at the end of a game that Alaves have well and truly lost against Villarreal. And he gets told to warm up and come on when he has no chance of making any impact. And that's what's happened in the previous match day. I just want to see John playing somewhere. It's, and it's the it's the second week in, week in a row as well. It's when they were leading, had a comfortable lead. They put him on as well with, I think it was like less than a minute. Like three, added time, yeah. Like three seconds on the pitch or something like that. And then they're doing, uh, Garitano is doing basically the same thing yeah. again. And... Yeah, I used to find that kind of in, insulting to, to any players. Like It's one thing if you do that substitution to kill time or or do it out of a tactical perspective, but with those results that Alaves have been in when, when he's been doing it with John, it just doesn't make any sense more than he's kind of being insulting to the player. Yeah, and again, Mr. Garitano, maybe you should not have been criticising the Swedish national team for their choice to play or not play John Gadetti when you can't even keep your own house in order, apparently. Free John Gudetti, rest inaki. Can we get these hashtags going? And remember it is rest inaki because, again, I'm pretty sure we can't use an any in the hashtag, but someone might be able to prove me wrong, which is not the first time. 
but I think that's all for that week. This week, any more business that we need to tie up? Well, there's midweek games, so there'll be tons to talk about. Barcelona and Real Madrid are back for better or for worse. I'm actually going to watch Real Madrid. Controversially, I don't know how you feel about this. Controversially, I think the Bernabeu might be the best stadium to work from in Spain. Yeah, because, that might be true. Well, first of all, they give you some coffee or like something to drink, which considering how stingy Spanish football clubs often are, I'm looking at you, Barcelona. That's a nice boost. You know, you go there, it's cold, it's Madrid, and particularly if you work a game there in the winter, which I've done, it's, it's always nice to see someone look after you. And then the second point, and this is the thing that seals the deal, and I think I know what you're going to say here, or you know what I'm going to say, rather. If you're sitting in the press seats and it's the winter, they have overhead heating. It's incredible. It's like a magical spectacle. You're sitting there, you're freezing, and then these red things appear from above you in the rafters of the stadium it's amazing. and shoot gusts of warm air down onto you. And trust me, if you've ever been in Madrid in December or January time, that is very much welcome. And also you get a lunchbox. You don't get a lunchbox. Wait, what? You do get a lunchbox at Madrid. Did you what? miss that? You get a lunchbox. I didn't get no lunchbox. Full with stuff in it. But in Spain, this is a big deal because no, you don't true. get a lot yeah. of things. So as, yeah. as a journalist, this is what I can tell you I've, I've gotten. Once at an Atletico match at the Calderon, I got a really dry sandwich. <laughs> At Granada, Granada needs to get points here because at Granada, now this was last time they were in La Liga, they came and served you tapas during the match. And every time you ate your tapas, there was new tapas in front of you. So Granada wins. Athletic Club at San Mamés, they have one thing that is is good for them in comparison because other clubs have nothing. (laughs) And it's the fact that they have like a small bar kind of bar for mm. the for the media bar in, not in the sense that you get alcohol but you can get any drink you want like uh, soda or water you just go there and you say what you yep. want and you get it um and then for the rest of spain sometimes if you're lucky you can get a water bottle barca give you nothing as far as i can recall sevilla give you nothing i'm thinking i've been espanol i'm trying to think if i've ever been given anything there i don't know maybe i was too late in the season the best one i've ever had uh, you know this is not that exciting but girona before they got big they had like some kind of sponsorship partnership with uh, like a local Pinchos restaurant. And when we were sitting in the little concrete boxes that used to be the press boxes at Girona before they moved them to the other side, the, the restaurant came and delivered some Pinchos for us. That was nice. That is really nice. Well, it's yeah. a, it's all that I've gotten a water bottle sometimes. Well, before we bring it to a, to, to a close, why, we should also maybe say a little bit why we get so disappointed in Spanish clubs when it comes to this. Because in Sweden, when you go to a football match, you get a lot of stuff. You get a lot of fika. Yeah. You get hot dogs as well um, at many of the clubs, at least where I've been. And then you get fika. Uh, and if you don't know yeah. what, fi- what Swedish fika is, then you just Google Swedish fika. You get a yeah. lot of Swedish fika and you get coffee everywhere. Who, who gives good? Who gives? That's, that's like a weird construction, not in English. Ico give you a halftime sandwich, which is nice. And before the game, they'll I think there's hot dogs and stuff. But to be honest, like I'm sorry, man, but you've not lived the best food by a distance is in the Premier League. Arsenal is ridiculous. When you go to the Emirates, there is like a full restaurant set up. You get a choice between like three or four different dishes. Sometimes they even have alcohol. I think maybe in pre-season. I don't drink, but you can get a beer. And I'm pretty sure that quite a few other grounds is good. Chelsea has good catering, if I remember correctly. Spurs was not good, but neither was anything before they moved to the new stadium in scotland you get a pie you get a meat pie and if you're lucky it'll be warm and that is I, it I, I did have a time where i really tried really hard to, to make celta implant having fika at their press conferences but i just got to the point we'll think about it i, th- I think you should close out the podcast this week alex okay um hi- goodbye <laughs> goodbye <laughs> was that a good one
How do you say goodbye in Basque? Should have I only know up. how to say Zori Zorionak, which I think means congratulations. I can say Erasquiasco, which means thank you. I think. There you go. Erasquiasco and <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>